Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks for the way you love us. We thank you for oh, we thank you for this season and for what it means. And um, God, I pray that whatever I say and whatever I do today would uncomplicate it, that it would be clear, that it would be concise, and that it would hit us just the way you intended to. Thank you for your love and for your mercy. Thank you for my friends and the way that they love me and the grace they had for me this morning. Thank you for my daughter, and um, above all, pray that she gets the message. And God, pray that you would calm our hearts, you would calm our lives, and that we would be honoring to you today in your son's name. Amen. Oh, it is a complicated thing, isn't it? I was thinking about that on the way here. I'm, I'm talking about complicated Christmas, and uh, man, I'm flying through <laughs> through 37 and whipping around corners on Paragon going, is that ice, Paragon Road? Is that ice or isn't it ice? We'll find out, you know. And, um, but I, I made it, and I've been thinking a lot about you guys this week and about uncomplicating Christmas. And I um, wanted to tell you that I know it's complicated, and truthfully, it's kind of just the way we live, isn't it? It's 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 family stuff. It's We end up inviting people into our house that we don't even like this time of year. I saw on Facebook somebody said um, that uh, Santa Claus has it right because he just visits people once a year, you know, <laughs> it's like, and it, there's just a lot of complications with this whole thing. Um, in fact, uh, check out this picture. Maybe you experience that. If that gives you cold chills, um, you know exactly what the complicated Christmas problem is. I went over to Michael's in Bloomington, which is just right next to my studio um, on the west side. This was the Friday after Thanksgiving. My thought was, I needed glue and fabric for this little thing we were doing at the studio, and I thought, what better place to go for glue and fabric than Michael's? Except that everybody in, in Indiana was at Michael's. Um, and I went in there, and it was like displays and people. And there, I'm, I'm telling you, there was a woman cussing at, over material and stuff. I'm like, what? I, I don't know what's... I, it's just it's so loud, and there's people everywhere. All I needed was glue and fabric, and I start looking down the aisles, you know, just going through one after another. And I got so overwhelmed that I just used duct tape. You know, it's like, <laughs> forget it. I'm not, I'm not doing it, you know. I, I will repurpose whatever I need to do. And truthfully, my worry is that you do the same thing with church. That church and preaching and a preacher somewhere has done the same thing in complicated Christmas for Christian people and for non-Christian people. We have complicated Christmas to the point where you might come to our church or you might listen to a sermon about Christmas and you might just go, you know what, I'm going with duct tape. I don't understand any of that. I don't, I, you've made it so complicated. You made this whole story. There's... There's shepherds and there's sheep and there's wise men and there's mangers and there's lots of little things and all that's part of the story, but I don't, I don't really get what, how is that a gift and how does that affect me 2,000 years later? I'll just use duct tape. I'm out. And I, what I want to do is continue up until Christmas to uncomplicate Christmas and to really do the best we can. And part of the problem, and I do this every year, is put a picture up here like this next one. Um, one more there, Tanya, there you go. Every year I do this because I feel like we need a reminder that that's not what we're celebrating. That picture of the nativity right there is not accurate. That is, it is not what it looked like. That is a cartoon. And this is what we've done to Christmas, a lot of us. We have cartoonized Christmas. We have Disneyized it. We've talked about it with our kids and we've talked about it amongst ourselves and we've made it this thing, this myth 
this cartoon that it just flat isn't. Truthfully, I, 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 the, the shepherds smelled. They didn't look like that. They, they, they lived with the sheep. They were, they were gross, nasty people. And let me tell you this too. You see the baby Jesus is blonde? You know how few little blonde babies are born in the Middle East? It just ain't. It's just not the way it was. And let me tell you, if you're a mama in this place, you have had a baby in this place, no, not in this place, but if you're in here today and you have had a baby, you know that if you born a baby in a barn without an epidural, without an epidural, it would not, you would not look like Mary does in that picture. We love the song, but it was not a silent night. I am telling you, we have Disneyized this. We have Disneyized this, and I want to make sure you don't miss it. I do it every year. If you've been here the last six years, you know. I bring my little kids' play set up here or something. I want us to remember. We can see this, and we can look at it and, and thank God for it, and we can put them out in our houses and out on our front lawns. Now we have big plastic ones that light up and all this stuff. We can do that, and it's okay, but don't think that's Christmas because it's not. And as soon as you make it pretty, as soon as you Disneyize it, you have lost the meaning. So don't miss it. You know, I thought a lot about how I was going to do this this morning, and I also thought that I was going to be flying in here. I knew it. And I knew that I would be kind of frantic, just like Christmas. And I started thinking, okay, so how how am I going to keep people from thinking this way? And I thought, you know, I don't have to. I just read the Bible. Look at this. Luke chapter 1. Before Luke um, starts writing the story that you all know from Luke chapter 2, which I put on Facebook, my daughter did last year, memorized the the whole Luke chapter 2 story, and um, still just love to hear her do that, love to see her do that. Um, I've become that guy on Facebook. My kids are all over it. But Luke chapter 1, um, Luke is the, the writing the story. And Luke was a doctor. And I, I, I really resonate with Luke. Um, there are other writers in Scripture that I like, but they're very emotional and they're very spiritual, big faith kinds of people, which I love big faith kinds of people. I absolutely love them, but I am not one. I, it's a struggle for me. So I surround myself with big faith people so that I can learn and get better. Luke was, I think, not a big faith person. He was a details person. He was a doctor. He knew the, physics, he knew the physical part of, the, of, of life. He was a scientist. And he wanted to, to make sure people understood the reality of things. So he starts the whole, letter of Luke, uh, the whole book of Luke with this. He, he's writing to a man. Did you know this? You may not have known this. That the whole book of Luke is sort of addressed to this guy named Theophilus. Just weird, not very many people know that. You don't realize it unless you dig in, unless you're paid to do it like I am. Um, but the, you, you dig in and you find out that he, he is writing to a man named Theophilus. And we don't know who this guy is for sure. There's lots of theories. But Theophilus means friend of God. He was somehow friendship. He was somehow close to the church. And Luke is writing to him. And he says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to those to us by those who, whom from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So he says, I want you to know, whoever's reading this, I want you to know, people that were there, there people that were there told me this. There were people that I'm recording here who, who knew this. This isn't a hand-me-down. This isn't a myth. That isn't a, just a, I think it might have happened this way. These are actual events that the people that I knew saw. This happened among us. With this in mind, since I myself, Luke, have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. He's my kind of guy. He's he's in the details. He wants the details. I've carefully invested everything from the beginning. I, too, decided to write an orderly account for you. What I'm telling you is history. 
It's not a good idea. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a Disney movie. It is an orderly account. It is history. Most excellent Theophilus. There you go. So that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. You know, every week I pray at the end of my, my sermon preparation for one thing for you all. I prayed for you before you got here today. You didn't even know. You were here before I was, but I prayed for you before you were. And I prayed this week that you would know the certainty of these things. That it would hit you right in the heart today. You know, it hit me because I'm preparing it and I'm praying it. My daughter today and a big group of kids sang and they're up on the big screen and it's lighting and sound and all this stuff and they're, they're singing this song as stars. And I don't know if you've seen this musical before, but they're all dressed up as stars. My daughter's the cutest one. Um, they're all dressed up as stars and they're standing on the stage and they're supposed to be the stars that were there the night that Jesus was born. That they witnessed this thing. I started thinking, that's romantic, it's fun, it's neat, it's a neat thing, but the more my daughter sang and the more I saw it in her eyes, the more I thought, I hope she gets it. I hope she knows it. I hope she feels it. Because here's the thing, she's just eight right now. And she can think of it as a musical. She can think of it as this cute thing that she does on Sundays. But sometimes she's going to be 28. She's going to be 38. And life is going to hit her in the face. And as long as she thinks of it as the cute starry thing that she did at, at Sherwood Oaks, as long as she thinks of it as the nativity that sits out in front and mostly in the attic all year until we dust it off and put it out on the front, as long as she thinks of the good news like that, it will never affect her life. It will never change who she is as a person. It will never bring her the peace that we are promised passes all understanding when we understand the real story. Do you, under, you get where I'm going? And that's what I want for you. It's what I want for me. So Luke continues, and he says this. He does something that myths don't do. You know the story of George Washington? You may have learned this in school. The story of George Washington cutting down the cherry tree? Do you know that it's a lie? Didn't happen. It was written by his biographer many years after he was dead because nobody really knows anything about his family. So they made up this story. If you don't know this story, it was said that George Washington cut down a cherry tree and his dad said, hey, what happened to the cherry tree? And George Washington said, I cannot tell a lie. I cut down the cherry tree. And we're supposed to think George Washington was this amazing kid from beginning to end. We all know kids aren't like that. <laughs> you have to build that into them. And the truth is, it's an absolute lie. And when you hear somebody talk about it, you go, okay, when did that happen? Well, we don't know. What, what time? Where did he live? Well, we don't know. Well, that's because it's a lie. It's a myth. Luke does something that myths don't do when he tells the story. Myths and stories and made-up things don't do this. He anchors it to history. He takes it and he says, here's what was going on at this time. He says, in those days when this all happened, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Caesar Augustus was... Um, this emperor who was just a, he was kind of a mean dude, his dad was thought of as a god. When people talked to him, they, they, they talked about him as a god, not because they thought he was, but because he made you say that or he would cut your head off. And so people called him a deity. They, they talked about him as a god. So Caesar Augustus was called a, a son of God. Isn't that interesting? That Caesar Augustus, among his people, were, 
was called a son of God. He thought he was going to live forever. He thought he would live for eternity, that you would know who he was, that he would be your king 2,000 years later, that he would be your emperor 2,000 years later, that nobody would ever forget him. And you know what I think is so funny? The only time that you know of Caesar Augustus is as a footnote in the story of a poor Jewish carpenter's birth. It's wonderful. It's an incredible thing that God has done. He said, now you're, you're just an arrogant guy who's going to be a footstool in the midst of this story. He says, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. This was the first sentence that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, if it wasn't Luke, if it was a big faith guy, he would have just gone, you know what I mean, and then God did some cool things. But Luke was like, no, no, this is the second census, or this is the first census. So you can look through history and say, okay, there were a few censuses. This is the first one. You can put an absolute date on when this happened. And everyone went to their own town to register because that's what you did at that point. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He gets very specific and he, he anchors this story to history. This is a real thing. has a place in history. And then we get to see the uncomplicated story of Jesus. But you know what's funny? The story of Jesus actually starts with a mother and father being told by an angel that they were going to have a baby. But it's not Mary and Joseph. Did you know that? That the story of Jesus doesn't start with Mary and Joseph. If you look in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 1 and we get into Luke chapter 2, the story of Jesus actually starts with a different couple named Elizabeth and Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest um, and they had lived, Zechariah and, and and Elizabeth had lived for a long time and didn't have kids. And at th- that point in history, if you didn't have children, if you, especially if you'd been married a long time, if you didn't have children and you were a God-fearing person and you were in that community and you were considered to be a religious person, people started looking at you really funny. You know, you know that look. Especially, I'm not blaming women, but I see the look a lot on women's faces. When they see a girl who's dressed a little weird or they see something, they go, huh, get that little jaw kicked out. Huh, that's what... That's what Elizabeth got her whole life. And the older she got, the worse it got. Because if you had gotten to that point in your life and couldn't have a baby, here's what was thought of you. That God was disappointed in you. Because he didn't allow you to have a baby. That somehow at this point in history, people would look at you and expect that it just must be God being disappointed in you. And that you had done something to get out of favor with God. Look at this, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. These two people, you've got to get back and, and get into this story a little bit, but it's an amazing story. They, didn't, they couldn't have a baby for the longest time, and when they got older than anybody would have expected them to have a baby, an angel came to Elizabeth, does that sound familiar, and said, you're going to have a baby. Came to, John, to uh, Zechariah first and said, uh, you're going to have a baby, and he didn't believe the angel. <laughs> this is awesome. It's the same angel that comes to Mary, by the way. He didn't believe the angel. And so the angel says, yeah, it's going to happen. You're going to have a baby, and it's God's plan. Um, and and Zechariah had this self-esteem problem at this point. No, you don't understand, angel. We've done something to make God mad. We've done something. We don't deserve this. Maybe you've, maybe you've felt that when I've set up here. The grace and the peace that passes all understanding is available to you. And you've gone, not me. No, you don't understand, John. I'm out of favor with God. I've messed up too many times. I've found, I've fallen out of favor with God. He actually curses me. (laughs) 
He actually looks at my life and pushes me in bad directions. That's who I am. This is what Zechariah basically says to the angel. I don't believe you. And the angel goes, it's going to happen. And because you didn't believe me, you're not going to be able to speak until the baby is born. This is an awesome story. So a preacher gets his mouth zipped by the angel. I mean, I can't think of anything worse as a as a speaker. That's what I do with my life as I talk. This preacher guy, this priest guy now can't talk. So now he's got this news and, and all of a sudden he can't talk. So he knows this is actually going to happen. If they, the angel can shut my mouth and keep me from talking, then I'm obviously I'm having a baby and I got to tell everybody. And so he goes and he goes, he can't, he can't do anything. He can't say anything. This is just an incredibly frustrating time. And finally, Somebody says, what's his name? You know, what, what's this baby's name? And the angel had told him that his name would be John. And we know him as John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. He came before Jesus. He was part of the plan of the Messiah to come before Jesus and tell people, this is the guy you need to listen to. And Elizabeth and Zechariah got that. And listen to me this morning. There was no reason that God chose them. There was no reason. He chose them. Because what the Bible says, look at this, Luke chapter 1, 25. The Lord has done this for me, Elizabeth said. In these days, He has shown His favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. I, I don't deserve this. I don't know. God has just shown His favor. This happens in my house every now and then. Now my daughter and my son don't go, Dad has shown His favor. But when they go to bed sometimes and Risha's making cookies, they'll say, oh, can we have a cookie? Risha does this all the time. She's a really good baker of all kinds of things. You can see that. And it usually happens at night after the kids go to bed because she has to have it ready for the morning. And the kids have to go to bed with that smell in the house, you know? And we're not going to let them have a big old bunch of cookies right before they go to bed. I mean, we shouldn't. And so, no, nope, you guys got to go to bed and just smell it. So they go to sleep with this sugar cookie smell. It just happened last week. And they went to bed, and, and the cookies come out of the oven, and I have a bite of it, and I think, oh, this is heaven. And I love my kids. So I put them on a paper towel, and I sneak upstairs, and I wake up London. Risha hates this. Wake up London. London, there's a sugar cookie. Reads. A hot sugar cookie. Just eat it in your bed and don't tell your mama. There is this look. There's a look that I get from London and Reese. Dad didn't have to do that. In fact, Dad said I couldn't have a cookie. What have I done to deserve the cookie? What did they do to deserve that? Nothing. I just love them. When I experience something good, I want them to experience. God tells Elizabeth and Zechariah, you haven't done anything to deserve being a part of this story. You haven't done anything to deserve this baby. In fact, if this was based on what you deserve, all y'all go to bed without cookies. It's based on my favor for but see, at this point in history, the favor of God was not considered for people. You, didn't, you weren't favored by God. You, you were disciplined by God or you were obedient to God. And sometimes you were both. But being favored by God for no reason? Unheard of. See, one of the biggest lies in our lives, one of the biggest lies in your life today that the enemy puts in your life, and he'll do it before you go to bed tonight, I know, one of the biggest lies in our lives is that the bad circumstances in our lives are an indication that we have somehow fallen out of favor with God. That we look at this and go, well, if I just had not got drunk Friday night, then maybe God would have looked different at me on Monday morning and I would have got the promotion. 
Don't we? We just do this. And no matter how close we get to God, we have this tendency to drift into this thought that all the bad circumstances in our lives happen because we've fallen out of favor with God. And so what happens is then we start asking the question, why do bad things happen to good people? You know that question. Because they've done all good in their lives. Why, why is it that God brought bad into their lives? I want to tell you this too. Next slide. As we move on, this is a foreboding. This is just this, this foreshadowing feel of what's going to happen. God says, you have found favor with me. Why, God? I, no reason. I'm just in love with you. I'm in love with you. You've found favor with me. It's the beginning of the good news. And when we see it again, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. So Elizabeth is, is about six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And finally, um, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Mary, probably 14 years old, 15 maybe. What did she do to deserve the favor of God? I mean, she didn't believe it. She, didn't, she, wasn't, she wasn't convinced. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are finally highly favored with God. And the angel says this, The Lord is with you. Now, we're desensitized to that phrase, the Lord is with you. We pray it all the time. In fact, my kids, it's part of their, I'm working on this with my kids, it's part of their before we eat pray. Prayer, Reese started raising his hand recently when I say, who wants to pray at dinner? I'm thinking, we're getting through this kid. I found out recently that the reason he wants to pray is because London has long prayers and he can do it really quick. And he can get to his food quicker. And his prayer is this, thank you Jesus for our food, amen. That's it. And it's that fast or faster. He's really, he sounds like that guy on the radio that does all the legal jargon, you know? Thank you, Jesus, for our food. Amen. And he started recently. I said, Reese, we, we've got to change how we're, how we're talking. And so he listens to his sister, and she gets really flowery. Oh, Jesus, thank you for our day, and thank you for the dog, and thank you, I mean, everything, you know? And she usually at some point in there says, and please be with us tonight as we have our dinner. So Reese has picked up on that. So now it's, thank you, Jesus, for our food, and thank you for being with us. Amen. So it's just that. And we do that too, don't we? God be with so-and-so in the hospital. God be with them. God, God be with me as I take this test. God be with me. That's desensitizing to us. We've said it so much, and it's part of our culture. But to Mary, if you wanted to be where God is, you had to go to the temple. If you wanted to be where God is, you had to go to a priest and tell the priest what you wanted the priest to tell God for you. That's how you got to be with God. And now the angel is saying, the Lord is with you. Mary would have thought, uh-uh, you don't understand. That's not the way it works with God. i got to go to church. No, no, the way God works, angel, you don't understand. The way God works is you have to do some really, really smart, good things. And then God's with you. But then, even then, you've got to go talk to a priest about it. But the angel goes, no, 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 no. The Lord is with you. See, we talk of this story all the time. We, we tell this story, and when we tell this story, we say the shepherds were the first to hear the good news. Not if you look close. Elizabeth got it. The, the angel said, good news. The Lord has found favor. The Lord doesn't find favor. The, the Lord has found favor with Good news, Mary. The good news has come to you. 
God is with you. The word is Emmanuel. means God is with us. It's news. It's brand new. Mary prayed after this. It was amazing. When Mary prayed after this, 14, 15-year-old girl, very tiny, had really no inclination in, in society at all to be a leader, to do anything. When she found out, and she figured out, and she felt that the Lord was really with her, that God was somehow on her side, that He had found favor with her for no apparent reason, when she had found out, when she had figured that out and felt it in her life, she prayed a prayer that we pray now. She prayed a prayer that for 2,000 years has been etched in the books that are in your pew. She prayed a prayer and did some things that changed the world, not because she was divine. I love my Catholic friends, and we, we agree on a lot of things. This is one thing we disagree with. I think the story gets reduced if Mary was divine, because the good news is that God is with you too. The good news is that you found favor with God. The good news is that you don't have to be anything more than you are. Here's what happened with Mary. She didn't become a great person. And then God said, I find favor with you, so here I am. She found favor with God first. Where she was, how she was, and then that's what made her great. And she is worth celebrating. She is worth raising up and saying this is the way we should live our life. Because she did it. She looked at what you have. She looked at this opportunity to come to Jesus the way she was. To come to God to say, I want to be where you are. And when, since I'm in your life, since you're in my life, I will change who I am. I will live for you. I will give up everything I have. I will fight for your plan. That's the good news. See, the good news isn't that Jesus came to bring some more rules. The good news isn't that now you can put these plastic things in your front yard. The good news is that God has found favor in you. And that He has given you the opportunity to have Him live where you live. To be where you live. I prayed for some of you this morning by name because I see your Facebook posts and I pray with you after church. I, pray with, I, I prayed for some of you by name this morning because I believe that there are Christians in this place who need to be saved. I believe that there are Christians in this place today who are going to heaven but are living hell on earth because they have missed the fact that they are not supposed to be negotiating their sin with God. It's already been negotiated. You are saved by the blood of Jesus, by the gift, and by the hope that came that day. So then the favor became for all. And this is what we celebrate. Look at this. But the angel said to them, Luke chapter 10, verse 2, don't be afraid. This is a big group of, of shepherds. And this is where if you're here today and somebody drug you here, if you're listening online because your wife said, please listen to me, listen to this sermon that John preached because it's Christmas. And you're kind of faking the whole thing. And I know you do this because I've done it in my life before, a long time ago. Where your mom and dad really want you to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And your grandma and your grandpa and your family. So once a year, you put a big smile on your face and you go and you listen to Luke 2 and you come to the lighting the candles and you sing the songs and you fake it just to keep the peace. But I, I want you to know that maybe, maybe you feel like, I, 
I'm not part of them. I'm not religious like that. I'm, I'm an outsider. Maybe you feel that way today, and I don't blame you if you do. But I want you to know that, that the angel came to the outsiders. The angel came to the shepherds, the irreligious people. In fact, they weren't even allowed in the church because they smelled too bad. And we, don't have that, we don't have that rule here, and it's a good thing, some of you, you know? But I'm telling you, the message, the good news is for those of you who have said, I'm not into the religious thing, but I'm into the faith thing. Do not be afraid, the angel saying. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. I said this last week and I'll say it again. If there's something in this Christmas season, if there's something in the message of Jesus that isn't great news, it's being misrepresented to you by the preacher or the person who is talking about it. I want you to hear that. Because the, the message of Jesus is nothing but great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you and to you and to you and to you. The Savior was not born to the church. The Savior was not born to a specific person. The Savior was born for you, to you. Uncomplicating Christmas sounds like this. And if you've never heard this message before, or if you feel like it's got convoluted to you, here's the message of Christmas. You've found favor with God. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are in your life, you have found favor with God. It doesn't mean He's approved of all the decisions you've made in your life. You're smarter than to think that. But you've found favor with Him the way my kids found favor with me. Not because they're good, but because they're mine. You've found favor with God because you're His. And He's given you the opportunity to be where He is. He's given you the opportunity for you to say to Him, would you live where I am? Would you change the way I live my life? That's the message of Christmas. Nothing else. Because it, it, it really is in the long run the, the perfect gift. It really is the perfect gift. And you know what a perfect gift is, and that's what, if you're, if you're really in love with somebody, whether it's your husband, your wife, or your kids, or just a friend, that this time of year, you don't get anxious about the gift. You get really excited about it. You look really forward to the gift. Because it, it becomes almost easy. A good, perfect gift has is, is been brewing for a while, hasn't it? You don't go to Kohl's on the 23rd and go, Ah, oh, the perfect gift! Do you? No. No. No, you can't. That's not the perfect gift. It, 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 it's, it's just whatever was blingy at the time. The perfect gift often brews months ahead. My wife turned 40 this year. She looks like she's 20, but she turned 40. That'll get me some points. And I, uh, she's not here. She'll hear it though. A year, a, a year ago, I started planning what I was going to do on her 40th birthday. And on her 40th birthday, I took her 40 favorite things and we did them all in one day. And then the 40th thing was her friends and her relationships. And I had 40 people from all over her life, people she hadn't seen for years, wrote, write letters and we sat on the bed and we cried together and read together the letters to end the night at midnight on her birth, 40th birthday. And she said, I can't believe you did this for me. And I said, it was just so easy. Because you are so easy to love like this. Look at the impact you've made. When I, when I did this, it was because I, it had been brewing for a long time. And I want you to know the perfect gift for you in your life has been brewing for a long time. God's been getting you ready for it. If you haven't received it yet, He's ready to give it. The perfect gift has no constraints. What I mean by that is, 
It, it, there's not a dollar sign attached. There's not, uh, uh-oh, it's the 23rd and I got an hour and the store's closing. You know what I'm saying? It's not that kind of constraint. Uh, my family does a, my big family does a um, uh, drawing, you know, where you draw the names. I hate that, but I happen to absolutely be in love with all of my family, so it doesn't matter who I draw. I love them, but I want to get the names early so that I can think about it and look for the right thing, you know, online and everything, but we have this constraint, and it's $50. You got $50 to spend on them, which is great, because financially, if you bought it for all 30 people in our family, I mean, the Grenier's, you got to be doing something like this, or you guys would all go bankrupt at Christmas, but, but the, the whole deal is that this $50, I've got to spend on this person, if the present that I want to get them is 90, then I give it to them and everybody goes, John didn't obey the rules. And it feels weird. And if the perfect gift for them is $15, then I'm the cheapo at Christmas. So this is a terrible thing, this constraints. I don't want to be constrained. God isn't constrained with you. He's going to give you what you need the most. And here's the thing. He knows you. He knows that you're not a mistaker. He knows that you're not just a mistaker in need of a second chance. He knows that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. That you don't just need a second chance at Christmas. You don't just need a get-out-of-jail-free card that you can hand out and then you've got another chance. What you need is a Savior who will save you from what you deserve. That's the good news. It's the perfect gift. The perfect gift has no conditions. My mom and dad are so good at this, they give to my kids at Christmas, they give them this big pile of stuff. And then, you know, okay, where's Nana and Papa's gifts? Uh-oh, nothing for them. What if, they gave, what if all these pile of gifts were under the tree? And as they, Well, hang on, guys, don't, Nana says, hang on, Reese and London, don't go start opening your gifts yet. What do you got for me? You, you show me what you got for me, and then you will talk about the gifts. That doesn't sound like love, does it? That's the way we treat God, isn't it? Like God's looking at us going, hey, hey, you give me what I'm due and then I'll give you what you do. It's not, it's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. It's backwards. It's the wrong message. It's not the good news. The good news is this, that God takes you where you are and you make life changes, life-altering changes because of who He is. So, at Christmas, every year it happens this way. I don't know when my kids are going to get old enough to see it, but they realize when they see their gifts, I should have got something for, my, for Nana and Papa. And I love it. Every year, London gets something crafty because she's so crafty. She unwraps all her gifts, and the very first thing she makes is for Nana and Papa. It, it's an afterthought, isn't it? Kind of. But it means a lot. Truthfully, it's what God wants from you. Don't wait. Don't wait till you have the perfect gift for God. Don't wait till you can be perfect so you can give it to God. It'll never happen. You accept the gifts and then you use what He's given you to give back with everything you are. And I'm telling you, if you don't do it in that order, it doesn't work. You can't get right and then come to Jesus. It just doesn't work. So I'm asking you to come to Jesus so you can get right. That's the good news. The perfect gift says something about the relationship, doesn't it? I gave my wife the perfect gift on, the 40th, on her 40th birthday, but it wasn't because I'm a good husband. It's because she's such a good wife. It was easy. 
says something about our relationship. The perfect gift says something about your relationship. If, if, you, get, if you get a gift at the gift exchange at, at work, I can promise you it won't be the perfect gift. And if you get lucky, it might be usable. My guess is you'll end up leaving it on your desk and the janitor will throw it in the trash on January 4th. Because it's not thought out. But this gift says something about the relationship with the Creator. God says, I know how many hairs you have on your head. He knows it right now. Whether you love Him or not, whether you believe He is who He says He is or not, He knows you and loves you where you are right now. So today, Van, you guys can come on up. Today, you, you have found favor with God. You need to know that. You have found favor with God. And you go, no, no, not me. Like Zachariah, not me, John. You don't understand. God makes no conditions. See, the good news is better than you've found favor with God only if you have accepted Him in the first 14 tries. Only if you give up that one vice that you've got. Then you've found favor with God. No. The good news is this. You've found favor with God. And the second part of it is that He's promised to be with you. Today, you can know where you stand with God. This Christmas, when you wake up on Christmas morning, you can know where you stand with God. You can know how God feels about you. You can know where heaven is in your future. So today, I'm just going to ask you to accept the gift. I've been praying desperately for those of you who never have today. I've been driving like a maniac to come and talk about it. And God has put this in my heart today to say to you, whatever it takes at all costs, find out the truth about Jesus. If you don't believe me today because I've messed it up again for you, if I've made this too complicated today, make sure you find somebody who can keep it clear for you because you might say no to Jesus, but you better make sure you say no to the right Jesus. You better make sure you understand this thing because it is too big. I'm going to ask you, those of you who got it, those of you who have been given the gift of Jesus, those of you who understand the Christmas message, don't mess it up. I'm looking at you. Don't mess the message up. Don't put it in the wrong order. Don't expect something for your kids and hold strings attached to it. If you are the God representation in their life, don't mess up the good news for the people around you this Christmas. At all costs, make a phone call to get a family member at Christmas because it, whoever's fault it is, you're in charge of making it right. Do whatever it takes to be clear about who God is in your life and about the message of Christmas. And then, don't miss it. I think the enemy would love for you to sing jingle bells. I think the enemy would love for you to put a plastic nativity in your front yard. I think the enemy would love for you at Christmas to pack your house so full of gifts that you can't even see the Christmas tree. I think he would like laughter and humor in your house. I do. Anything to keep you from getting the point of Christmas. I think he would like for preachers to say that you've got to do a list of things for God, for the good news to be for you. 
I think He would like for your mom to treat you so bad at Christmas that you never want anything to do with Jesus. Because she does. I think that He would like to do anything He can do to make you think that Jesus is a Disney character with blonde hair in the Middle East somehow. And I'm praying desperately for you that you get it. That you understand that this is a real human being who was born to a real world in a real barn with real sheep poop. And that is important because that's your world. Don't miss it at Christmas. You found favor with God. Merry Christmas. Would you stand with us and sing this morning?